I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. And I'm Matt Bernico. I was <laughs> going to try to think of like a really clever sort of like subtitle there, mm. but I couldn't think of anyone that was like uh, sort of secularism related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Minister of Religion and Secularism all at once. Um, I'm Matt Bernico, the buffered self. <laughs> the buffered self. Uh, yeah, this week on the show, if you haven't guessed already, we are going to talk about the secular, secularism, secularization, every other word that sounds like that. And I think, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about atheism, Marxism, and how revolutionary kinds of Christianity sort of challenge different assumptions on the left. And hopefully that's been interesting. I don't know. It's been fun to think about. But this week, we thought we would tackle those big questions around the secular and I think those questions actually have a lot of complicated things to say about both Christianity and Marxism. So I think the conversation might get a little bit grad schooly. <laughs> I studied this problem in my dissertation, and so I have a lot of thoughts about it. But stick with us. We're going to try to figure it out together. It'll be okay. It is important. And listen, uh, it's hard to come up with a podcast idea every single week. And this is the one that you're getting <laughs> this time around. <laughs> <laughs> just laying it all out there that's right folks we're going to talk about charles taylor we're going to talk about saba mahmoud we're going to get into secularism and just how se separate the church and the state are i guess in this one <laughs> um but before we do uh dean i do have a big question for you mm -hmm. um okay uh maybe two questions here's the first one what is the most secular piece of music you had or uh or you listened to regularly when you were going to an evangelical church right um all right i'll answer this in two phases the first is i was a late adopter of evangelicalism as a child uh, i i became an evangelical i prayed the prayer i gave my life to christ in i don't know eighth grade or something so i was like 13 and i still had a i had a lincoln park cd that i had just bought mm. mm -hmm. and i was pretty troubled by that situation um i was really into it loved it loved thinking i just had the worst life in the world when i was 12 years old or whatever listening to lincoln park in my bedroom uh, my life was completely fine by the way it was pretty good uh anyway <laughs> um just uh you know really tapping into my my teen, budding teenage angst and the idea that i had to give that up in order to give my life to christ was pretty rough uh also the same with weird al yankovic i had a bunch of weird al cds and the youth group was sort of divided over whether or not weird al was fine um oh what did they decide 
Uh, I had one friend who wanted to get rid of all his Weird Al CDs and especially his burned ones because of that the is so funny. property issue. And uh, he gave them to me because I thought I'd take them off, off of his hands. <laughs> so I did inherit his Weird Al collection. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Here's how I would answer the question. This is kind of uh, a little bit of a different side of things. Um, so, I mean, my parents were extremely evangelical. And, I mean, they still are. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Um, but they did, they themselves brought me to the Weird Al concert. Whoa. So that's pretty cool. That's like a cool evangelical thing to do. Sort of like a safe, you know, it's like a way to listen to popular music in a safe way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where they're not going to tell you about like drugs and sex and stuff. But the most secular piece of music I had that definitely made my mom upset was a Bare Naked Ladies CD. Whoa. Yeah, that's right. Canada's yeah, finest. Pretty, yeah, Canada's finest. My mom was very skeptical of them. They're called what? She said. Um, <laughs> she doesn't talk like that, but for the sake of this podcast, she does. Um, it did take a lot of convincing for uh, her to let me buy it from the used CD store, but mm. I did. And yep. uh, and then I bought a second one. And um, if you asked me when I was 13, what I would do if I had a million dollars, I would say buy more big naked lady CDs. <laughs> Um, man, going in the reverse direction, I also, I did buy, when I was in high school, I bought a Norma Jean CD and Mm. it was like, Norma Jean is a Christian hardcore band, uh, dear listener who (laughs) wasn't listening to (laughs) old Christian hardcore music 10 years ago or something. Uh, anyway, there was a cover on the album. I think it's like their second album maybe. And it's like a kid being attacked by a bird or something. And you know, it's like an unsettling image. And I remember uh, going to buy it and my mom was in the store at the time. My mom was like not a hardcore evangelical, but just like a pretty average Christian mom, (laughs) Catholic mom. (laughs) Um, Anyway, she was like, I don't know about that CD. It looks kind of, you know, yucky. And Uh uh, I told her, I don't know, mom, they're Christian. So like, I guess it must be fine. And I did get the CD. So uh, it works in your favor in the other direction. That's true. That's true. Okay, then in the other, it's truly in the spirit of the other direction. What is the worst piece of Christian music (laughs) you put up with uh, because it was not secular? (laughs) Man, uh, I did listen to a lot of very bad CCM music and tried to convince myself that that was fine. But I have to imagine, I mean, I wish that I had like my very first iPod because I think I don't know if you had this situation too, Matt, but I would like troll the Internet, scour the Internet for the most obscure Christian bands I could possibly find just because they were, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, fine. They had the stamp of approval and I, there were probably a hundred like no, <laughs> no name Midwest shitty hardcore bands that sang about Jesus that were uh, flooding my iPod, not because they were good, but just because uh, they were they were safe, I guess. Yeah. You know, uh, one year when I went to Cornerstone, I was at a generator stage and I saw a hardcore band play there and I couldn't for the life of me tell you what the name of this hardcore band was. But apparently at the time, I liked them so much, I thought I'm going to buy their T-shirt and their CD. So you can tell I was serious. <laughs> and uh, a few weeks later after Cornerstone was over, I did actually go to church camp and I was wearing the hardcore band T-shirt and one of the camp, camp counselors said, hey, that's my band. And that's I said, awesome. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what the that's how the Holy Spirit works. If you think about it, yep. Uh, and I am thinking about it, and that is how the Holy Spirit works. And I <laughs> just think, drawing all things together. Yes, it's great. Exactly. Uh, I think that's a great way to ease ourselves into this conversation. So we're all warmed up. Um, <laughs> that is uh, what it's like for evangelicals to think about secularism, uh, and it's actually not the worst way into the conversation. <laughs> honestly, I mean, Christians have a lot of weird ideas about secularity, the secular, so on and so forth. 
Um, evangelicals are always worried about secular culture. It's this kind of like poison from your purity or something. Uh, some Christian traditionalists, the, the trad cats on the internet and so on, are really concerned about, I don't know, where Christianity has like conceded too much to secular politics or social life. Um, just got to go to the Latin mass or the big Anglican smelly mass or whatever and <laughs> figure it out. Uh, some theologians are upset about how secularism disciplines expressions of uh, Christian faith. Um, so there's like a lot going on here, obviously. All that to say, uh, Christians don't know what to do with secularism. And let me give you a spoiler. It's because we made it up <laughs> and <laughs> we don't know how to handle it. Uh, but don't worry, we're going to get to that. We'll stick with a, a couple of big ideas, maybe. Yeah, it sounds good. Uh, well, before we get to the big ideas, well, maybe we can start we can start outlining the big ideas with some some terminology that will remain important throughout the conversation. OK, so ordinarily, most people use words that have to do with the word secular as though they're all saying the same thing. So it's really helpful to distinguish between the different ways uh, the word secular shows up in conversations, especially within like religious anthropology and religious studies and all of these other weird, <laughs> weird sub-disciplines and mm -hmm. sub-disciplines of sub-disciplines. So uh, we might kind of lose track of them as we're talking because they get kind of complicated and compound one another and like there's a discourse within these terms about secular. So um, for this episode, let's say that secularism means a political ideal and political strategy and the secular, on the other hand, has to do more with the kind of cultural or social milieu that we're in. And then this other word, secularization, <laughs> sorry, this is very complicated, is about a historical process. So there's these three different senses of the word. Um, secularism, meaning a political ideal. The secular, like the culture, uh, the kind of culture, social milieu that, milieu that we're in. And secularization, which is about the historical process of, you know, secularism. Um, so we'll try our best to keep them all straight and we'll probably do a bad job um, because <laughs> language is complicated <laughs> and, uh, you know, podcasts uh, are not uh, as clear and concise and careful as uh, writing an essay or something. But anyways, we're laying them all out here at the beginning. We're writing on the big blackboard in uh, in the Magnificast grad school classroom. And uh, <laughs> here they all are. <laughs> we have these three terms laid out. Yeah, the blackboard of your heart. Jesus comes in there and sits down and he's like, yeah, let's get to learning. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, there are a hundred uh, thousand essays that you can read about all this. It's a big conversation in religious studies. It's a conversation in philosophy of religion. And I think it's actually a really cool conversation. If you're a big nerd and you just want to read some interesting stuff, uh, it's a cool conversation to be part of, I think, anyway. And there are some sort of big names in it. We won't be able to get to most of them or, or even a lot of them, <laughs> really. We'll stick to just a few. But I thought it might be helpful to start out talking about the approach of this guy named Charles Taylor, who, if you haven't heard of him, he is Canada's uh, big famous philosopher. He's always winning prizes for how smart he is, I guess. Um, <laughs> he, he did. He won a big prize. He won like a million dollars or something. Um, he wrote a giant book called A Secular Age that tries to explain how society went from being uh, enchanted, as he puts it, to being disenchanted. Uh, there's a lot of other things going on. Lots of concepts in the book. Uh, and it's pretty influential in a lot of circles. It goes, I, I don't know, you'll see it like cited by certain progressive Christians. There are Christians who have written um, summaries of it or who kind of rely on it to tell certain stories about how Christians should engage our culture. So I think it's worth spending a little bit of time on. There's good things about the book. There's very bad things about the book. <laughs> but uh, it's helpful to maybe just start out getting it on the table because I do think that 
one benefit is uh, it's it's nice to have Taylor as a person to like bounce off of. And I don't know, we'll summarize the secular age in like 15 minutes. So you can have some great party talking points if you want to get into those. <laughs> yeah, bring up Charles Taylor at the next party you go to. And I'm sure people will be really into it. <laughs> the first um, thing you do after COVID, uh, grab yeah. somebody at a party <laughs> and tell them about Charles Taylor. You've lost all social skills. You don't know how to talk to other people anymore. So you have to just talk to them about Charles Taylor. Um, that's a cool thing for you to do in a, to another human person. Just kidding. Please don't weaponize Charles Taylor at a party. All right. So here's the thing about um, secularization, that when uh, people talk about, you know, something being secular, something, you know, in the sense of Christian music, right? Uh, on the one hand, P.O.D., uh, no, religious, Christian, is uh, <laughs> as religious as it gets. Oh, we are the youth of the nation, and we're all going to church, is what that music is all about. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, though, secular. And we know this because um, one is about God and one's not. It's so simple. Um, this is like in, in, in the world of Charles Taylor, in this kind of separation of uh, religious and secular into these like kind of neat categories are kind of what uh, he calls subtraction stories, right? Where it's just like you can divide them very easily. Um, whatever is not uh, whatever is not religious, that you can kind of just like toss out the window. Whatever you have left is secular. That's it. Is that is that it, Dean? Is there more that can be said? Yeah, I think that's pretty close. Um, and there's you can kind of understand. I think this is actually one of the best parts of the book. Uh, this idea that there are a subtraction stories out there about secularization. It's something that everybody kind of hears, but it's nice to have it named. I, I think like the paradigmatic example of this is somebody like Richard Dawkins or like the new atheists who like tell a story about the secular where, you know, one time everybody was religious and then over time, slowly uh, they stopped being so stupid. They got rid of all these dumb religious ideas. Uh, they're subtracting them over time. And eventually, you know, we'll kind of rid ourselves of all that like ornamentation and whatever is left underneath. That's uh, the secular so the secular is kind of identified with like bare humanity <laughs> or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's whatever isn't religious. Like you were just saying that it's it's what's left over. Uh, it doesn't have that kind of religious extra add on. And so you see it in Dawkins. But I think you're right to use that P.O.D. example in a way, too, because a lot of Christians kind of implicitly take that story as well, although in a kind of different direction. Right. Like uh, not a story of progress, I guess, but. Certainly um, the assumption, at least, that, you know, whatever's not religious is secular and, and vice versa. So you kind of have to, like, guard against all that other stuff that's floating around out there. Yeah, you know, and that's like a, a that's a, I mean, that's maybe the ground floor. Like, that's where pe people probably start thinking about secularism uh, or the secular. Shoot, now my words are all mixed up. Um, <laughs> when evangelical Christians talk about, you know, something being secular or or not, right, they're talking about like the cognitive assent to something like the cognitive belief that like, right. These people who are, you know, like Sonny from POD or whatever, he, <laughs> he, he believes in God. Like that's what they are like primarily concerned with, I guess. But the thing that's, I think important about secularism, right? Like the, um, meaning like secularism as like a, a political strategy or something is that it's not really always about like the, the certain belief or unbelief in a particular situation, right? It's about like the ways that power is formed and uh, politics are done and like the specific, uh, you know, cultural forms those things take, uh, you know, like, um, like Christian colonization or something, right? That is, that is uh, something that has, has be it becomes like secularized for sure. We don't think of it 
or at least many people don't think of it as something that's particularly religious, but it has its sort of roots in uh, in a certain religious tradition. So it makes things a lot more complicated when we think of secularism as a particular um, like political strategy about, you know, not just the things that you believe in, but the ways that like religious ideas persist through, uh, you know, uh, past the the point of like a, a religious border or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's also an interesting thing in Taylor's story about secularism as well, that uh, rather than being this thing that, you know, you just kind of shear off the religious stuff and then you're left with the secular, he sees secularization, that process of kind of changing our our uh, the way that we go about the world. Um, that process emerges out of the history of European Christianity for him specifically. So it's all these arguments that Christians are having over, you know, all kinds of stuff, uh, theologies, uh, arguments over how to relate the government to Christianity, arguments over the Pope, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, those arguments kind of uh, slowly emerge into uh, the secular, into this kind of cultural milieu that we're part of. And I think that's really fascinating because, uh, you know, I think, as we'll talk about in a minute when we talk about Saba Mahmoud, there are a lot of very important things that Taylor misses in this story. But the one thing that he stresses is that secular, if you want to talk about the secular, you're really talking about something that isn't, as you were just saying, Matt, like something that's reducible to what you mentally assent to, what you agree to, what you think. Uh, It's actually about this kind of long history of like, I don't know, the the kind of ideas world that we're all moving through, right? Like the, the, the water of concepts that we sort of swim in or something like that. I don't know, all these metaphors that are that suggest <laughs> suggest something that it's like all around you right it's it's this mode of being in the world or something like that so uh all that to say that sort of way of moving through the secular today uh emerges in this weird way out of christianity and so the secular also inherits a lot of ideas that are kind of born in christianity ideas about i don't know human dignity for taylor he's really into that mm-hmm. Who isn't? <laughs> Indignity's fine, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. Uh, but stuff like that, right? Democracy for Taylor, that also has roots in Christian ways of thinking. Uh, so Christianity kind of supplies these um, ways of, of thinking that uh, get um, augmented in different ways into what we know as the secular now. Yeah, that's right. So um, for for Taylor, like this is all just kind of describing the world that it is. But like the secular uh, is not something that's like, you know, for him at least, not bad like evangelical Christians think. Uh, it's not the uh, it's not the Rage Against the Machine CD. It's not uh, something that's <laughs> like uh, making society degenerate or something. But it's like uh, it's something uh, a little bit different in that sense. Um, okay, Dean. There's another part of Charles Taylor. Sorry, if you guys can't tell um, in this whole thing, Dean just wrote a whole dissertation that draws heavily on this, and um, I only listened to Dean defend his dissertation, so I'm <laughs> less well read on Charles Taylor. Um, uh, less so about Saba Mood because I've actually read that. But anyways, so I'm gonna defer to Dean on a lot of this uh, content because he is the doctor and the expert on this whole thing. So um, there's this other part of Charles Taylor that I want to bring up that I would be interested to hear you talk about Dean about um, sort of like the, the individual subject within uh, you know, in, in secularism. Um, I think that like one of the big ideas about secularism, at least the a related term or something that I think of a lot 
is about tolerance and sort of like that idea of mm -hmm. like, you know, making space for everybody and having sort of a diverse amount of voices and not everyone has to believe the same thing. We kind of all tolerate one another's beliefs or whatever. It's like very sort of like uh, this, this nice liberal idea about respecting other people's beliefs. It's, you know, generally good, uh, though has some definite drawbacks. Um, I know that Taylor has a lot of things to say about that as well, uh, especially about like how people um, uh, um, kind of like have this difference of um, how people negotiate that difference of like internal religious thinking and sort of external, um, I don't know, comportment in the world and how mm -hmm. that can be very complicated. Uh, like I, the joke I made at the very beginning of this conversation was about the buffer itself. So maybe you could talk a bit about that, Dean, uh, the expert of this. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I think it's actually it's good to get that on the table and we can pivot to Mahmood after because uh, so one thing that Taylor does is there's kind of like a descriptive piece of his analysis and then also a prescriptive piece. And when he starts talking about uh, what it's like to live in a secular age or something, doing the kind of existentialist uh, way of reading it, if you want to say it that way, um, he you kind of see both of these in a way. So like when he's describing it, he says basically like in a secular age, everybody uh, experiences their um, their like the way when, when you walk out into the world, you meet all kinds of people that don't think like you, right? You experience a kind of pluralism that you wouldn't have experienced in like, I don't know, the 1500s in Europe, right? Where basically everybody is uh, a Christian the way that you are. Um, so when you go out into the world and you meet other kinds of people uh, they, that don't think like you, that means that your own position is kind of like fragilized internally, right? So you can be a, a good Catholic, your whole family can be good Catholics. Um, but you walk down the street and you meet like uh, a Muslim or, or an atheist or somebody who uh, has a, a pattern of life that is, you know, a world away from yours, it seems. But nevertheless, you're kind of thrown into this world where you're all sort of bumping against each other. Uh, and uh, that's the descriptive piece for Taylor, that in a secular age, you can't just like rely on everybody to just sort of believe the same thing, even though lots of Christians wish that you could <laughs> or role play as though you can. Um, you, you can't, right? The world is complicated now. Uh, the prescriptive piece is that Taylor thinks you should just sort of like embrace that. Like it's fine to be fragilized and, uh, you should kind of see that as an opportunity to, you know, be a little more humble around other people. Uh, Matt, you mentioned the value of tolerance. There's something of that in there too. I think, um, you might think of it more strongly as something like hospitality, like for Taylor, there's this kind of ethic that you should be welcoming, you know, plurality or other people uh and on the other hand uh for taylor if you go out into the world and you're getting bumped up against all these people who don't think like you you might not respond that way right you might respond uh in the opposite way by kind of closing down ideologically and saying you know doubling down let's say on your christianity and your xenophobia toward the other so in that sense uh your response to being fragilized would be to like create a really tough carapace, like a tough shell of Christian traditionalism, let's say, uh, and you kind of wield that against everybody else, which if you look at Twitter for five minutes, uh, will not be hard to find. Um, so Taylor wants to say, don't do that. Uh, instead, kind of be open to being more, um, you know, uh, willing to kind of be batted around <laughs> by other ideas and and you should kind of let that settle into you and that's fine. Like Christians shouldn't be trying to regain their lost power necessarily. They should be... Uh, uh, taking that situation for what it is and, and running with it. Yeah, that's cool. 
Um, I mean, uh, not a not a perfect ethic, but like pretty interesting, just the same. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of good. Um, I've heard good worse. Advice. Yeah, I've heard worse for sure. That's right. Saba Mahmood has some very uh, some very good criticisms of uh, Charles Taylor's particular ethic that I think is pretty well founded. Uh, so that's good. We can get to that all in a minute. But generally, that all makes sense to me. Um, Especially, man, I think the uh, the most interesting thing to me about all of that is the way that secularism uh, might breed a certain type of Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. uh, how those things could go together. I mean, uh, the thing that I think is really fascinating about secularism, again, we'll get to more of this in a minute, but it is uh, something that, you know, it inherits a lot of these like Christian ideas um, for better and for worse. Um and then, like you know, it tries to tell the story where, like, well, now these, now it's, now we're not Christian, a Christian like uh, society anymore. There's sort of this, like, this like space where uh, of, of neutrality. Yet uh, we can see how these ideas um, they create some, some kind of like cyclical relationship where they kind of all come back around to one another. The the secular society didn't uh, didn't get rid of like um, people who are wild Christian nationalists. It just kind of created more of them in a different mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> not a perfect story, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> One that uh, tries to solve a problem or kind of ex- explain a problem, but uh, but in the end, really, uh, sort of the sort of stark uh, contrast between like this is secular, this is religious, that subtractive story. Um, it seems like it uh, it doesn't kind of get us out of the cycle of religious failure and religious uh, like supremacy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, I think that's actually a good way to pivot into talking about Mahmoud as well, because, uh, you know, Taylor, okay, he's a big famous philosopher. He wrote a gigantic book that I did take a whole grad seminar on and wrote a lot about and spent a lot of time thinking about. But the story that he tells is basically an idealist story, which is to say, at the end of the day, you know, yes, he's attentive to the kind of like cultural milieu that we are in or whatever, but that is all shaped by differences in the way that people sort of think about the world for the most part. Um, there's more to it than that. I don't know if you're like a real Taylor head, maybe that'll piss you off <laughs> to hear that he's an idealist, but I'm here to tell you, I think that he is. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, invested on this podcast in a certain materialist way of, uh, understanding the world and, and history. And usually we go to Marx for that. But I think you can also find a lot of really cool resources in anthropology for thinking about uh, the materiality of things like the secular and religion. And I really, really appreciate this one anthropologist, Saba Mahmood. Um, She's done a ton of really cool work. uh, But in particular, she has this great critical essay on um, secular rage that kind of uh, comes at it from... I, I don't know, she probably wouldn't call it materialist, but I would say <laughs> a sort of an attention to the material effects of the secular. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so Mahmoud has some things to say. Okay, hang on, let me say this. So Dean introduced me to this essay, um, which is great. I like, uh, I'm all about Dean giving me reading assignments. That's fine. Um <laughs> Anyways, he's like, yeah, uh, in this essay, Mahmoud gives this really scathing critique of <laughs> Charles Taylor, and I was ready for it. I read through this entire thing, and I didn't really find the scathing critique. There's definitely a critique for sure, but I don't know if it's scathing. Um, so maybe we can bring some of that scathingness out and, uh, you know, get get past the uh, the collegial um, <laughs> the collegial uh, sort of academic language, and let's, like, really burn Charles Taylor on this one. <laughs> sure. Um, so Charles Taylor, this big dumb dipshit, this is what he does. He totally misses <laughs> the whole importance of colonialism. That's the thing that he does that is so wrong. 
Um, he's talking all about, um, you know, inheriting these good these good ideas from Christianity, like democracy and uh, human dignity, all these kind of things. But he doesn't even talk about colonialism. This big this big guy. I can't believe him. Yeah, I think that's pretty scathing the way that you've put him at. Um, I think he's scathed. He's certainly <laughs> this. You scathed this Canadian bacon for sure. Um, I should say uh, the essay. We didn't even say what it's called. It's called Can Secularism Be Otherwise? And it's in a, a book called Varieties of Secularism in a Secular Age. Anyway, uh, find it, read it. It's a good essay. Uh, but yes, that is sort of the crux of it, that at the end of the day, Taylor has this story about how the world changes and secularization happens and the wildest part about it and i have to tell you the book is gigantic the book is like 800 pages long the fact that this is nowhere to be found in it is totally bizarre <laughs> um mahmoud's criticism is basically that like in those 800 pages taylor spends all this time telling you how uh european christians changed the world changed themselves changed the way they think and now we're all in the secular age uh, but he never tells you that the primary way in which that happened really was not through um, ideological clashes, but it was through a really mm -hmm. violent engagement with others, with people who were not Christians. Uh, the secular age was built on the backs of uh, black slaves, on the backs of genocided, uh, attempted genocide of indigenous people, right? And it's built on the uh, conscription of people into Christianity, all kinds of really complicated stuff that's happening and uh, I think you see this criticism in other places, too, right? Like um, we've talked about Walter Mignolo a handful of times on this podcast, uh, Latin American uh, literary theorist who talks about modernity being kind of constituted by these violent engagements of Europe with people who are not European. Um, that's mm -hmm. what Mahmoud is doing here. She's saying Taylor uh, tells you this whole story about how the secular happens and never gets around to telling you that. And underneath all that is like a mountain of violence. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, I I find these types of readings really fascinating and really helpful, too, because I think um, I mean, um, you know, like in the like in art history or in just like the history of culture or in uh, anthropology or whatever, there is this tendency to like look at Europe as like the sort of pinnacle of like the entire world. Right. To like think like, oh, my mm -hmm. gosh, look at these amazing things that these great Europeans did. They built the Sistine Chapel. They built this big tower. I don't know, all these different things. But um, I think that, th that what's really helpful about, uh, I mean, the work that Mahmoud is doing uh, here, but also like Walter Manolo and other sort of decolonial theorists is to like point out like at whose expense did these things, like were these things built? Like, you know, where, where did the Vatican get the money to build like, right. you know, Vatican City or whatever? Where did, um, where, where did the like the gold come from? Right um to to build some kind of like a marvelous cathedral or something and i think that these decolonial theorists like help us see something that is like glaring um for uh yeah i mean for like the christian tradition especially uh these things don't just like sort of happen but they do have a real human cost and uh man you got to pay attention to those things because that's what constitutes all of these like things that we think are so great like <laughs> democracy and human rights and uh and dignity and and whatnot right like they are not possible without like the uh, the colonial plundering of um, the Americas and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, uh, this is maybe the scathing piece of the critique. Uh, well, there's a more scathing piece later. Don't worry, we'll get to that one. This is uh, just one of the scathing piece that Matt doesn't think is very scathing uh, in Mahmoud's language. So we can 
maybe sharpen <laughs> sharpen the knife yeah, a yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mentioned a moment ago, you know, Taylor has this way of telling the story of the emergence of the secular that says uh, it's not a subtraction from Christianity. It's actually the kind of product of Christianity, right? It's the uh, the long product of Christians arguing with each other and working together and all that kind of stuff, such that the secular inherits both good and bad things from Christianity inside of it. Uh, Mahmoud has kind of a similar approach to the secular. She also thinks that it was invented by Christians, uh, that it is the process of Christians going out into the world and, you know, making decisions about it and organizing their societies in particular ways. But she says uh, one thing that's fascinating is the secular inherits a lot of bad habits from Christians that Taylor is, again, pretty blind to or can't seem to understand. Uh, and one of the biggest ones is in secularism as a political ideology, to kind of make that clear again, uh, in secularism, there's this kind of assumption that uh, on the government's part, you know, there's no state church, no state religion, everyone's kind of free to do their thing. And that's that the state shouldn't intervene. And in fact, it should protect uh, people from being pressured into religious authorities or, uh, you know, uh, and it should it should protect religious minorities and, and all that. Um, Mahmoud says, though, uh, secularism as a political ideology was invented by Christians and uh, by virtue of inheriting that history, the colonial history, the Christian history, the Eurocentric history, secularism also inherits all these Christian anxieties about non-Christians in particular. So just to give you a concrete example, you know, uh, when a government is concerned about uh, policing religious identity, Typically, they're not really concerned about Christians, right? Uh, they're usually concerned about Muslims these days, especially. Uh, you know, you can see this in, like, France with all kinds of debates over, like, uh, women wearing a veil, for example. Or um, in Quebec, there was a similar uh, thing that just happened quite recently uh, where they banned wearing the veil in public. Uh, these This ban was done in the name of secularism, right, to say that Quebec is a, a secular uh province and when i say in public i mean uh for public um employees or even like if you're on the bus using public services it's very draconian a really wild law uh mm -hmm. so it's done in the name of the secular because they want a secular province but it ends up targeting uh muslims in particular and you know people will sometimes point to like uh in secular societies um that are particularly anxious about religion uh, usually, even if they're pretty anti-clerical, uh, it would be way more acceptable for like a Catholic nun to walk down the street in a habit than to see yeah. a Muslim walking down in, you know, a number of iterations of their own clothing. And that, I think, is really fascinating that Mahmoud is basically saying, yes, secularism does emerge out of Christianity, but it's kind of like Christian Christianity and its own anxieties by a different name. Uh, and I think that is a super important and really wild insight. Yeah, it is definitely an important insight. I mean, it's the um, it's it's such a uh, interesting reading of Charles Taylor, though, because it's like Charles Taylor is right. But also he doesn't realize how um, how kind of like uh, scathing being or like how bad being right is maybe or something mm -hmm. um, where. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you don't just get to claim the good stuff. It's the, the bad stuff, too. Um, or the intolerances too. You can't just uh, you can't pick and choose your inheritance. You have to kind of take it all, whether you like it or not. Um, 
but yeah, it's a, it's a good word. It's definitely a good note to make uh, as we consider uh, the way these things work out in our own lives or our own cities or whatever. E- even like other things too, like uh, like a minaret band. That was like a big thing in Switzerland mm. uh, for a time too, where, you know, you couldn't, uh, or even like calls to prayer, like that would be sort of seen as like, mm-hmm. um, it, it is like uh, sort of anti-Muslim, but in the name of secularization. Um, yeah, uh, a pretty troubling thing to say the very least. Uh, well, Dean, um, how, how about the other part of, of, uh, Mahmoud's essay? So we have this, we had, we talked about like really briefly earlier about Charles Taylor, sort of like the ethic that he wants Christians to take away from these observations about secularism. Um, you know, he wants to make Christians more open to people, you know, to have some type of epistemic humility or being hospitable to others and stuff. But uh, Mahmoud has a different take, for sure. And this is where some of the scathing stuff comes in, I think, uh, (laughs) certainly. So um, Mahmoud says, if you can't even recognize how Christianity got so hegemonic in the first place, this is paraphrasing, this isn't what she says directly, (laughs) but she says, if you you can't even recognize how Christianity got so hegemonic in the first place, you're going to just end up repeating those Christian failures um, you know, the more that you try to be like open or um, tolerant or even hospitable, right? Like the, the thing is that if you like, um, if you are just kind of picking the good parts of Christianity and saying the rest isn't, uh, you know, it's not, that's not Christian or that's like, uh, that's a different situation or whatever altogether, um, you might end up just repeating the same things over and over, um, the same mistakes, the same um, sort of negative uh, uh, disposition towards other people and so on. And in fact, she says that Charles Taylor is uh, exactly guilty of this kind of thing um, in, in not being able to attend to the history of like Christian colonialism. Uh, I mean, he ends up just kind of recreating it or at least giving giving it a lot more room to breathe than one should. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like Taylor does constantly say in a secular age that he's like, you do have to take the good with the bad by the time you get to the secular and he, he thinks that he's kind of willing to admit that. And you know, he tries in his own way to do that. But for Mahmoud, it's a complete failure to recognize what in fact the bad actually is uh, that, yeah. uh, you know, he, he misses the, again, that colonial violence. And in doing so, like you said, Matt, uh, he ends up um, kind of sabotaging his own um, desire to be more open. And Mahmoud is, uh, she is very diplomatic for sure. Um, she praises Taylor even for being like, yeah. you know, it, it's good. Like, yes, I hope Christians become <laughs> better. Like she, she's like, yes, let's sort it out. But uh, if they do it like this, uh, they're not going to be able to do it is kind of what she says. I'll, I'll read just the last paragraph maybe from this essay, which I think is really good. Um mm-hmm. She says, uh, I don't know, this is kind of long, but it's worth it. If the task of contemporary Christianity is to become open to others, would it not need to begin with an internal accounting of how this historical privilege structures the possibility of communication across difference? Given the simultaneous claim to the singularity and universality of Christianity that's part of the history of Christian secularism, would it not be necessary to address this history internally before any reconciliation could be reached with others. Christianity's historical relationship to its others, to put it another way, would have to become internal to Christianity's current preoccupations in order to embark on what is truly a worthy project of interreligious dialogue. The prescriptive vision of a secular age is severely compromised, it turns out, 
by the historical demarcation of Latin Christendom, which remains ideologically impervious to it to its others. Here's the scathing part, Matt. I told you it was going to be here. How would one imagine embarking on a dialogue when the other is not even acknowledged in political, existential, or epistemological terms? It seems that by delineating an account of Christian secularism that remains blind to, to the normative assumptions and power of Western Christianity, Taylor's invitation to interreligious dialogue sidesteps the greatest challenge of our time. Uh, so Mahmoud is really like throwing down the gauntlet here, I think, at the end, and basically saying, look, if Christians want to figure out how to deal with other people, then they have to first look inside to figure out how they did a very bad job of that first. And mm -hmm. she's like, Taylor's not willing to do that. So how would anybody be able to sort of come to the table and expect that, you know, he's going to do it now, uh, seeing somebody for the first time? And I think that sort of demand on Christians to reckon with their history is such an important one. I mean, we talk about it on the show uh, here and there, but um, it can never be said too much. Uh, Christians, I think, have a, a particular responsibility to figure out, you know, what is going on in our own traditions that created so much violence and how also that violence persists in things like the secular secularism. So it's like evangelicals are so suspicious of, you know, what they call the secular, but ironically um, they're sort of like fighting the windmill of like maintaining Christian power in a hegemonic way, which is a, yeah. a really bizarre symptom of society as it is. Yeah. Bizarre symptom is right. I mean, I think the thing that maybe some people get tripped up on, well, okay, hang on. Let me take a step back. Like the, the, the word decolonization is like really in vogue at the moment. And, you know, in some ways that is good because people are becoming very interested in decolonial theory and all these kinds of things. I mean, me being one of them, I definitely jumped on the bandwagon when other, other friends started reading that stuff and like for the better, for sure. But there's also a different type of like um, way that people can kind of throw around the world with word without recognizing exactly what that kind of critique means. Um, like the, the work of decolonialization is hard and especially when it comes to structures that like are extremely pervasive, like Christian supremacy and like white supremacy, like those things are very hard to undo in both your mind and both like power and like in the, in the political system. Right. And, um, you know, it's like it's about so much more than just like uh, uh, getting rid of like a few bad things or something, but it's about kind of overturning the entire way we think about things, but also like understanding the deep history mm -hmm. of of Christian supremacy and like the ways that it's entangled with white supremacy and, and so on. But like it's not just that like these things, um, it's just not like uh, colonialism is, is not proximal to Christianity, but it is like integral to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a part that is very difficult to like that, that. I think that sometimes when people just toss around the word decoloniality or decolonial decolonized Christianity or something like I think the the integralness of colonialism to that project becomes sort of lost or maybe sometimes people don't think exactly think that through exactly like um you know, I mean, there's, I don't know, we don't need to draw them out here, but like, I'm thinking of all of like the wild papal bull in like the 1500s or whatever, where it's like, uh, I don't know, sorry, these, uh, these people indigenous to this place that we're going to go and like plunder, like they're not real people. So it's okay. Like we can do it. Or like, um, like that establishes sort of like the bloodline of like pure Christian people against like Jews or something like these are, mm -hmm. these are projects that I guess are integral to Christianity in, in ways that I think people don't necessarily recognize as being like integral and, uh, you know, more than just being proximal. So I, I think when Mahmoud kind of draws us out here, it's so important to recognize the depth of like the critique that it's not that 
Christianity can just be like easily fixed if you just kind of like think about it differently. But it's like it's deeply broken. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, deeply broken and maybe not even fixable. And you just have to like figure out how to live in the rubble of all that. Um, yeah, I guess that's the that seems like the important part. I mean, we can kind of talk about this more as we get into it. But like, OK, again, I, I've said the word like cheap decolonization a few times and maybe I'm going to regret saying that or something. Maybe <laughs> that's not the best way to put it. But like, I, but I feel like you, you probably know what I mean. Like there's a tendency for people to like kind of like latch on to an idea and not um, mm -hmm. not engage with it fully or something. Um like as just like a tr as a Twitter trend. I'm not like trying to draw out like a. I'm not gonna throw shade at someone specifically or here or something. But people just say decolonizing this, decolonizing that, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's deeply broken, and that there might not be a way to fix it. And like, and that's all you can do is <laughs> just kind of understand that it's broken. Mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, it's not like it's yeah, it's not fixable in uh, in the way that you might like it to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's like a handful of theologians who draw from similar sources as people like Mahmoud and and other people. And they they sort of say, yeah, you know, secularism disciplines people, but it also disciplines like left wing Christians, for example, or like Christians who are out in the public sphere. And I mean, there is actually some truth to that. And it is very interesting. And I think people should think more about it. You know, for example, like I always think about the Kings Bay Plowshares Seven, uh, yeah. who are a group of Catholic people who recently uh, have been in jail and incarcerated for a um, anti-nuclear action. Um, you know, they they all cite their religious identity, right? Their Catholic identity uh, in their defense and, and what they're doing. But like, you know, we have a, a Catholic president right now, as a handful of journalists like to remind us all the time. <laughs> but um, that particular Catholic president is never going to see those commitments that they've made as like protected by religious freedom acts or something. Right. Um, right. So there's this way that like the secular is kind of hand in hand with maintaining like global capitalism and uh, specific versions of us hegemony. And like, it's true that Christians fall out of that. Right. Um, or you can think of uh, the way that certain forms of Christianity get disciplined uh, like liberation theology um, and uh, even lots of people on the left are super nervous about things like liberation theology because of a certain secularism that precludes them from working together or understanding how history is complicated and, you know, Christianity and other faiths can be revolutionary forces. So all that to say, there's a grain of truth, uh, a big grain of truth. There, there is a real truth. <laughs> even I'm inflating it bigger and bigger uh, to the idea that secularism can discipline Christians, too. But at the end of the day, like it makes a, a huge difference how we sort that out. And I think uh, the key is not to sort of run over Mahmoud's point here, which is that like, like you can't really get to the exciting stuff or like the potential good stuff of Christianity without doing that extremely difficult work of like plumbing the depths of why, like even that, like those examples that I just gave are sort of a Christian technology being turned against certain kinds of Christianity uh, yeah. and, and wielded by other Christians, basically, right? <laughs> so it's still a kind of intra-Christian problem in this weird way, even though it's mediated by a term that we kind of see as being outside. Yeah, that's right. Um, a, a, an interesting thing to happen, for sure, that is troubling this whole other way. Um, well, okay, so we've said, oh, sorry, I've said, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dean. Well, I guess you said too. Christianity's <laughs> broken, man. That's what we, that's what we were saying. <laughs> there might not be a way to fix it. 
But some other people uh, who are not us um, think that maybe there are some ways to work around these problems. And, uh, well, listen, I'm not tipping our hand too much here. Dean and I don't find them very compelling. So <laughs> uh, we can talk through a few of them. William Kavanaugh, for example, uh, he makes the argument, um, but some of his work also ends up suggesting the key then is to find the true source of Christianity, which is an idea that we've definitely dealt with before in, in the past uh, on this podcast, um, that, you know, Christianity, it's got its rough patches. You got to look for the true, the true good stuff, right? So William Kavanaugh thinks that you need to look for that good stuff and like commit to that against secularism. And, uh, you know, to be fair with Kavanaugh, he's, uh, his his version of true Christianity is not like reactionary in the way that other people's versions are. Um, for example, everyone's favorite weird Twitter person, John Milbank, <laughs> uh, who is definitely reactionary, uh, but whatever. Kavanaugh understands um, better than Taylor, though, that colonialism is an essential part of the of the story. That's definitely there, but there's still like a a certain retreat that there in, into like this idea that there's a true Christian core that just mm-hmm. like um, you know, it's just been, it's failed, right? There's the idea that there's like a true Christianity that just like hasn't been tried yet, right? <laughs> or like where some people have tried it, but uh, we just lost our way and so on. And uh, I don't know um, that if you were going to take the stories and like the uh, analysis of decolonial theorists, that's not something you can actually believe. Like if it, I think that uh, if you really like, I don't know, if you read people like Manolo or uh, Mahmoud or whatever, like, you're you can't you can't accept those two those two th- those two stories about Christianity side by side right that there's one true Christianity that's like really good um, at its core that we just need to get back to and also that Christianity is like uh, there's an integral colonialism to it there's like a an idea in there that like produces um, supremacy like it, those two ideas can't live side by side yeah I mean uh, it's so tough because it's like <laughs> Kavanaugh says a lot of cool things, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I, I've read a lot of his stuff and and it's fine as far as it goes. But uh, yeah, that kind of retreat into being like, well, if we kind of just model ourselves more strongly on the Eucharist than we did before, or like if we all kind of read Henri de Lubac or like some other Catholic European theologian, we could maybe sort it out. I'm, I'm, I'm reducing Kavanaugh here. He's more sophisticated than that. But you, you get that sense uh, in a lot of people, I think. It's kind of like a popular idea mm-hmm. and uh yeah it totally um uh ignores the the violence at the heart of christianity i, I want to say to be clear like i don't want to conflate all christianity with like western european colonial christianity because you know there are other christianities <laughs> big ones even right like eastern right. traditions of it that don't fall into this same colonial history um indigenous versions of it in you know the middle east or uh whatever, like different expressions of it in, in Africa. And uh, and again, sort of forms of Christianity that have sort of mutated so much that now they're anti-colonial in a lot of ways, too. So it's mm-hmm. not to say that, like, whatever, uh, everybody has to now be kind of conscripted into the European project of colonization, because that in right. itself would be very bad. <laughs> um, but it's just to say that, like, you know, look, if you're a Christian listening to this podcast, probably <laughs> you don't fall into those categories, is my guess. Um, maybe you do. And congrats. I don't know. You'll have to figure it out your own way. I, I don't know what that's like. But uh, yeah, you know, I think, Mahmoud yeah. actually makes space for that in in uh, her chapter, too. She says, right. um, I mean, in a few different places there, she kind of brings up these other Christian traditions that uh, that are a bit different. And also, I mean, just the point, too, that like 
um, it's not that there's like one homogenous Christianity forever and ever. Yes. Even in even in these, um, you know, these political moments too, it's like Christianity does also shift and change. Like the the colonial Christianity like shifts and changes that the the Western European kind. It's it's not been static or whatever since mm-hmm. <laughs> since uh, seventy A.D. or or whatever. It's uh, it's always kind of moved and changed. I mean, like the the external and internal pressures are always kind of um, changing the furniture around and knocking the knocking the walls down or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, it's all kind of in flux. But uh, some of those roots, uh, you know, they spread out and uh, uh, produce. <laughs> I don't know, I'm about to make some other kind of analogy. Some of the roots of that that like Western Christianity they uh, spread out and they make uh, they make the gross the gross tree that uh, has the stinky fruit that you don't like. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think maybe one way to summarize this is like, I think you know Christianity. A lot of people appeal to it as again that kind of ultimate thing. You can just retreat into it, and it will give you all the keys to secularism. Whether you're an evangelical who doesn't want to be stained by evangelical or stained by like secular music, uh, <laughs> Lincoln Park or Weird Al, whoever it might be, um, <laughs> or whether you're like uh, you know a high church Anglican convert who's like I don't want to be disciplined by the secular state or something. Um, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, like no matter how we sort it out. Christianity has a lot to answer for. And it's also like not a simple answer for everything else. I think that's the key. Like uh, you can't just um, expect it to be marshaled, you know, in a simple way by having a militant church militant style politics and then just get it all sorted. Um, Maybe uh, one last thing to say really at the very end here, we should briefly talk about Marxism and secularism. Um, Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot that we could say we could have talked about it for the last hour, but uh, you know, whatever Marx, I think does inherit some of these things that uh, mm-hmm. Mahmoud and other people talk about. Um, but uh, it's complicated too in his own way. <laughs> but the real interesting thing is like how communist governments have kind of inherited some of this stuff. And uh, here's my hot take, I guess about Marxism and secularism that I'll throw in at the end here. Um, I think that, you know, some Marxist states have, been figuring it out more creatively than in the past to uh, sort out the religious problem in their own societies. But by and large, uh, one of the biggest ironies of Marxism in power is that in its uh, drive to kind of establish a state atheism, it actually ends up kind of being structurally very similar to how Christians deal with other people. And that is not good. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) If you're going to deconvert from Christianity, do it that way too. (laughs) Don't, don't retain its like worst habits. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's actually a really good example of how, uh, how pervasive uh, that Christian logic is to secularism though, that even when you're trying to do, you know, the opposite of it, you're trying to completely subtract it altogether. Right. You can't, you can't do it. Um, there, there's still it's going to be like a there's a lingering a lingering christian core that uh doesn't doesn't let you kind of get rid of its uh structures altogether mm-hmm. um so uh yeah i mean it's just like a, it's like a thing that you can't just really sidestep away from uh because you'll end up reproducing it in, in the, the dumbest ways yeah and also i should say like this isn't all to say that the word secular is like a bad word or that it's always bad, or that it always means the same thing in every place. Like, right. one one example I always sort of think about a lot, and I'm still thinking about, is uh, Cuba, where 
Cuba was officially an atheist state for a long time. And as we've said again on the show before, there was a long period of time where if you were a Catholic, you couldn't be a member of the Communist Party of Cuba. Um, But that policy changed later on, I think in the 80s. And the state officially changed its uh, policy as well to say that it is a secular state, not an atheist state. And after that happened, then Catholics were allowed in as party members. And, uh, you know, there's greater freedom of religion, I guess, or kind of a little more affirmation of it. But the point being that the secular in that respect was actually a way of like toning down the uh, sort of atheist discipline of all religion or what gets called religion. And I think that is really fascinating. And like, you know, I I would love to know what Mahmoud has to say about Cuba. I mean, she's tragically passed away. And as far as I know, did not read anything about it. There are lots of other anthropologists writing about communism and secularism and all this stuff. So people are thinking about it. But uh, all that to say, the secular is, (laughs) don't walk away from this being like, well, I don't know, Christianity is bad and uh, the secular is also bad and it's all just uh, <laughs> in an uncomplicated way, not good. But uh, anyway, yeah. just to say there's a lot going on. Yeah, well, maybe that's where we can end. Um, like, what do we say then kind of in, in the uh, the wreckage of all of this, I guess, right? We've said that Christianity is broken. Maybe you can't fix it. I don't know. So like, what do you do? Um, I think that, I mean, we, we've talked about Marika Rose a gazillion times this podcast, and we probably will talk about her a gazillion more times because she's right. That's the thing. <laughs> um, Marika Rose has a really cool book called Theology of Failure. We've done, I think, at least two episodes where we've talked to her specifically about some of those ideas and, uh, you know, a uh, hundred other episodes where we've at least referenced it. But um, in, in her book, she kind of recognizes a real similar thing, um, that Christianity has, like, some extremely bad tendencies that are... Uh, not just like not just proximal to Christianity, but like integral to Christianity that have to be sort of dealt with in one way or another. Like you actually have to attend to the the history of Christianity or else you're kind of like doomed to, you know, repeat the structures that uh, the worst of it. You'll, you're doomed to repeat the, wor- the worst of it and just trying to get back to like a true Christianity or whatever and escape, uh, escape the bad stuff. So, uh, I mean, the, the take in her book is that like, Christianity is going to be like, if you're going to practice religion, which like, you know, you, if you're an inheritor of it, like you kind of have to, cause it sort of invades your brain in, in some weird ways, but like, um, you're going to try to make it better and you're going to fail and you're going to try to make it better again. And you're probably going to keep failing. And like, that's what the history, that's what practicing Christianity is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, is like, you know, trying to come to terms with the worst of it, trying to do better. And then like still probably not doing better. And on the one hand, that's like, a depressing way to look at it. On the other hand, she's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'll say too, at the end here, like, you know, the biggest thing to me is once you identify these kind of problems, they, you know, they make your head go crazy for a little while, but then you, you do eventually kind of figure out, okay, well, what that means is there are some pretty tangible courses of study that I need to do, right? And like, uh, there are actions that I need to show up at in certain ways. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to uh, deal with Christianity's violent legacy, uh, especially if you still want to be a Christian like I do, uh, that means I think working overtime to basically be like, well, you know, like I live in Canada. So what was our role in residential schools, right? That's what's in the news right now. And uh, thinking really hard about it, reading about it, listening to people talking about it, and trying to figure out how to mobilize against that legacy, right? As a Christian, being a Christian, trying to dismantle all the violence done in the name of Christianity, it's like uh, enough to make you 
frustrated a lot, but uh, <laughs> it's necessary. Yeah, maybe that is like the sort of hopeful core of that um, that theology of failure or something that there is something to be done. It's just like <laughs> it's just like doing the work and like hoping it has a difference. It makes a difference, but you, you never know. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I'll add. Also, maybe I said the last thing was the last thing, but this is the real last thing. But like one more thing though. This yeah, one's really important. Thing. It's more uh-huh. important than the last one. That's for sure. Oh no! Now now it's too. You've you've put too much on it. <laughs> now now it sucks. This point. Uh, but I'm gonna make it anyway. The point is, uh, so we've been complicating the term secular and secularism and all the rest of it. Um, I want to say at the end, you can also do this with the word religion, which is extremely funny. Uh, religion is a very weird word. It's been around for a long time, but the way we use it now has not been the way we've used it forever. And uh, it emerges alongside the secular in some really interesting ways throughout the course of modernity. And uh, all that to say, probably we should have been more judicious in this conversation about being careful about that term, too. But I think it's actually really useful to start thinking about critical relationships to terms like religion and the secular uh, if you're a Christian. Because, uh, again, it's like a division that we have brought into the world and it is like messing a lot of people up, uh, including us. <laughs> so we need to find a way to, to deal with that uh, awful sort of two-headed monster that we've uh, birthed. If this podcast is anything, it is the receipts to how bad it's messed us up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we started at the beginning talking about how I was nervous to listen to Weird Al Yankovic. So, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it. That's it for this podcast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Magnificast. Um, if you do subscribe there, you get all kinds of cool things like an invite to our Discord channel, a sort of behind the paywall podcast called The Lock-In, where we pretend to have a youth group. It's not really pretend at this point. It's real. We do it's have a youth, youth group. group. It, is a real, <laughs> it is a real youth group in some sense of the word, for sure. Recreating all of Christianity's worst tendencies. Um, <laughs> anyways, the intro music is by Amari Armstrong and the outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next time. Church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. Least I would have